Shalom, everybody. Welcome to the Unexpected Cosmology. And just one week ago, I, I went on to Paul's station, Understanding Conspiracy. And, uh, oh, hold on here. <laughs> We're having all sorts of fun tech issues today, aren't we? Um, <laughs> and, and uh, yeah, I guess I had... I had YouTube on over here and it was playing back as you guys know. Anyways, uh, it's it's good. I'm happy. I'm excited that you're here on camera today, Paul. And and uh, you're looking good. Looking good as always. I, I've noticed that I'm, I've got this like streak of white going down here. I'm getting gray really fast. And, uh, but you're looking pretty good yourself over there. <laughs> oh, thank you. Thank you very much. Um, I do. I do have a bit of a receding hairline, but uh I'll be going great next. I get the odd gray beard, so I'm, I'm not too far behind, you know. Don't worry about that. All right. Okay. I think this happened since my daughter was born a year and a half ago, and it's just how. By the way, how many? If you don't mind my asking, uh, where are you at in life? I mean, you've you've got children, right? Yeah, I'm. Um, I've been with my wife, married for a year, um, but I have been with her for five years. We have a two. We have a two-year-old son. He just turned two last November. And um, he, um, we're, we're contemplating having another. Still debating it because we've got some things we need to sort out first, um, moving house and other things like that. Um, but he's uh, he's aged me terribly. I'll say that much as kids as kids do. Uh, so if I do have another Noel, I'll probably end up going great, just like you, I imagine. But yeah, it's worth every second, honestly. It's, it's two years, two year olds. It's a fun age, but uh, it's even funner trying to put them to bed. And uh, I think you, I think if I'm not mistaken, maybe you had to put your children to bed before this because you're on England time. Yeah, so it's eight, it's just gone eight p.m. for me. I'm I'm blessed. My son sleeps through the night, full twelve hours from seven o'clock till seven in the morning every night, no problems whatsoever. Um, sometimes maybe it may take him a bit longer than an hour to fall asleep, but usually by eight o'clock. I'm free to play and do what I need to do in the evening. So that's why I'm here. And that's why I always time it after 8 p.m. for myself. Uh, but during the day, I'm full time. I'm a full time stay at home parent, self-employed. I'm with him all the time, just doing his thing, you know, so. All right. Well, I'll have you, um, I guess, give your official introductions here. And I think for most people, you have a much larger YouTube channel than I do. And in fact, the a large part of my audience, I'm not going to assume everybody, but a large a percentage of my audience are huge fans of yours. I mean, they've been oh. they've been saying for months, you know, you got to go talk to Paul. You got to go talk to Paul, you know. And then um, I was going to do a sneak attack. I was going to uh, go secretly onto your channel, not announce it to anybody because I just wanted to see, you know, my peeps and stuff kind of like see me on there. But I think you announced it a few days before and they came in like all panicking, like, what's this I hear? No, you're gone. So um, anyways, it's fun to have you back. And uh, just tell, yeah, tell tell us about yourself to the the one or two people out there who have never heard of you before yeah so i run a youtube channel called understanding conspiracy it was kind of a um a brain child at the end of university from 2014 um, I, I have an art degree in fine arts and for those three years um from 2011 to 2014 i was uh what's the, what's the word w waking up is that the, the phrase we'll use you know um discovering the deceptions and so forth that was my trigger point time um it was around about the time the end of the world was supposed to happen with the mayan calendar coming to an end that was kind of my intrigue moments like oh what's, what's 
what are these people looking at that's making them say this, you know? And it was just one thing after another after that, and they just fell down into the the abyss of, of occult knowledge and everything. But at the same time, I was doing a degree in fine art, so most of my artwork became about conspiracy, you know, and everything around it, basically. And uh, by the end of it, I ended up with this channel, um, which was created as an end-of-year art project initially, discussing conspiracy theories and trying to get meta about the world of conspiracy you know what I mean and the, the groups involved and the factions involved and I kind of had this phrase at the beginning you know it's the right information in the wrong hands like this all this stuff seems to be true but the people at the time talking about it were too sensational too crazy looking for people to take them seriously so I really wanted to come in back then and kind of like set an example of if you want people to take you seriously and actually pay attention to this important information you keep trying to share, you need to up your game a little bit and you need to say it in the right way. So I kind of, that was my channel originally based on that topic. And um, it wasn't long after that I I was, I suppose I became a Christian. I was very much swimming in the new age world prior to this, doing a lot of occult uh, studies, you know, very much. I won't, I won't call myself a hippie new age or a Gnostic, to be honest, but I was definitely more in that realm than I was in the Christian realm when it came to interpreting conspiracy theories. Uh, but I very I kept bumping into the wall of the Christian biblical historical narrative when doing my research. I just didn't want to go through the door to that part early on because I was maybe scared of what I would find. I thought I could find all the answers through the occult and through other means, you know, through worldly means. And... Um, I was very much into the typical art student psychedelic exploration. I was a walking, talking stereotype more than anything during that time, you know. And um, But by the end of my degree, left with this channel with no direction in life, it got to the point where I was kind of... I didn't, I didn't know what to do next. I didn't know who I was. I was burnt out from heavy psychedelic use, drug use, thinking I was a god with collective consciousness type thinking, you know what I mean? And with all this knowledge about the corruptions in the world and kind of nihilistic in a sense, what am I supposed to do with all this information? What's the point in anything? You know, pretty much at rock bottom. And I managed to, um, basically, I'd, I'd heard many of the Christians giving their point of view on why we have so much corruption in the world. And I decided to take it seriously and I started swimming in the biblical perspective and it answered a lot of questions very quickly and it got to a point where I basically I asked I asked God help help me okay so if it's, if it's true if this is what's going on save me because I, I am lost I don't know what I'm doing and I'm, I'm, I'm at the end you know I'm at the end of my ability to even process things emotionally anymore just 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 help me and um he did from that day my life has done a full 180 and um, i lost all my addictions and my wants and desires to do those things over the past 10 years um I'm, i've been sober now um from any type of drug other than uh, nicotine and caffeine for 10 years and um i quit nicotine fully two years ago well about a year and a half ago now just cut that out completely after taping myself off for using an electric cigarette and um, like I said, I'm married, have a kid now, and I've never felt like I have more purpose and um, a reason to go keep going than than I do today. You know, and uh, as I, you say all this as I'm drinking my coffee right now, I'm still on my nicotine <laughs> addiction. Um, yeah. If I start another YouTube channel, 
I'm thinking of going with the name um, uh, like Bible Brew or something like that. Nice. Um, I mean, I still drink coffee. Don't get me wrong. Like that's 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 where I'm at, you know. And I, I, right now, I'm drinking green tea begrudgingly um, for health reasons more than anything. So I'm getting to that age now where I have to start considering these things. But uh, I'm talking about you know the hardcore heavy drug uses was left behind yeah, nope. for a new life, you know. Yeah, now I want to talk a little bit about the like DMT and other things like that. But one thing before we move on, one thing that uh, struck me with what you said, what I I was wondering what your attraction was uh, to Christianity, to the Bible, because you're coming in, you're saying 2012, 2014, which was it seems to be a huge. A lot of the people who went through that, uh, I was at kind of a second wave. Uh, I was at the tail end of that. I I woke up around uh, it was in twenty early 2015. And that was during the entire, uh, you know, the, the star Bethlehem, the, uh, Revelation 12 sign was coming up in a couple of years. And it was yeah. kind of through that that woke me up, but it seems like a, a lot of people did come into the truther movement. Now you're, you're saying you went through more of a Gnostic doorway and you're looking by one of the things you said about it was that it was, uh, it answered your questions, uh, about the state of the world, but what would, what would you find was would you say that your attraction to the Bible was uh, uh, answer solved truth? I mean, what, what was the attraction to Christianity? I Well, I wasn't raised a Christian, so I don't really speak Christianese. So when people listen to me, it, it, I don't sound like a traditional Christian because it was never part of my life growing up. I was a, I was a, a relatively non-religious uh child i had a childhood where it wasn't really talked about it just wasn't even a thought you know and i, I wouldn't say my my parents were like dogmatic atheists or anything either or anything like that my mum maybe humored and went along with things like horoscopes and dream catchers or stuff like that loosely but even then i wouldn't call her like a in any way a, a new age or anything like that you know it's, it's just typical northern working class family life just without any any religion involved you know and um so for me, it was alien to even consider it when I first went into the conspiracy world. I thought the answers were in like, it was maybe aliens or, or interdimensional beings or something that were and consciousness or collective consciousness through Jungian psychological archetypes. Or I was in that kind of world, you know, it could be answered through scientific means or psychological means rather than it actually having anything to do with anything to do with anything really spiritual. But through my exploration at that time, and through my life with psychedelics and i always did them with a pretty analytical mind I, I took them to to not just to have a good time i wanted to see what was actually going on when people what were people talking about when they took these drugs is that real you know and when I, you know the first time i did a psychedelic drug was i was actually 16 maybe 17 just borderline i was very young and i did something called salvia divinorum now salvia is um i didn't know this at the time because it was legal and you could buy it in like corner shop head shops over the counter. So you'd think a legal drug would just be harmless, you know, turn, it turns out after the fact, I find out it's, it's probably on par with, if not more powerful than dimethyltryptamine, which is DMT. And I didn't realize I was taking such a powerful potent thing at that age, but that shocking experience I would say is what set me in motion to questioning the, the rigidity of reality from a scientific viewpoint, going more into the, I've seen some things that I can't explain. I need to, I need to find answers. So that kind of, so from my, like my early teens, I kind of went into that mindset of um, exploring consciousness and analyzing it through a psychological semi pseudo spiritual way. And that's, that's because that's all I understood. 
I didn't have any biblical foundation or any foundation of any type of religious thought to, to do go any, do anything else with it, you know? So I ended up smoking a lot of cannabis. Um, and when I got to university by the age of 20, um, 21, 20, uh, around about that time, and after going through college studying arts, you know, and I, I managed to get my hands on harder things. And it was, like I said, it started with uh, psilocybin, LSD tabs, and then finally we got to dimethyltryptamine, you know, and every time I was doing these things, it was for the purpose of, I want to know what's going on. Like, is the spiritual realm real? And it answered that question. Yes, it is, but I didn't know what to do with it. I, what do I do now? <laughs> you know, I know there's a spiritual realm there. There's entities there. It, it, there's clearly the reality is not just uh, as, as as black and white as I thought it was, and I I don't know what to do with this information. And um, conspiracy kind of a lot of it is based on people who take these psychedelic drugs interacting with specific uh, specific beings and claiming that they have answers for you to, of who we are. And the answer was always you're a god. You're just god kind of um pretending that he's not he's forgotten that he's god so he can experience what it's like to not be a god that kind of answer was always coming through the forums through the philosophers of, in this realm through the psychonauts as they call themselves the messages were always the same they're always going to say we are a god i am god you know and we're all god together type of thing but it was never giving me any actual fruit in my life by going along with that philosophy. My life just seemed to get worse and worse the more I lent into that kind of ideology. Um, but I was always seeing Christians online and even Chris, I suppose Christians in my life, although there's few and far between in England this day and age, but um, they always seemed to be going on the up. Everything was always getting better for them. It was a complete opposite to what you know, I, and it seems like for all the enlightenment I think I have, why is my life getting worse and worse? You know, it's so I always knew there must be the Christians must know something I don't know. I suppose it was always at the back of my mind. But again, you know, there was this loud contingent during that time period of Christian conspiracy truthers online teach spreading the gospel the basic gospel and also explaining why the evils in the world because because of the devil basically you know and, and this agenda and all these secret societies worship lucifer um everyone knows the typical albert pike quote you know about how the, the true doc, uh, lucifer doctrine is what we truly follow and we need to slowly get the masses on board and all these type of things and again it's always that niggling thing at the back of your mind well if they believe in lucifer should i believe in god as well <laughs> like because it's kind of they're not denying it, you know, and uh, like I said, so I was at that point where it's, I'm going to have to just see where it leads. So I started studying the Bible, biblical history, um, and because I didn't know the rules of engagement necessarily for what it means to be a Christian, and because I, I don't really know how to act like one, because I wasn't raised like that, um, my attempts to go to churches pretty much failed, because um, I think they were confused about the things I was talking about. And I was naturally also, as well as just the, the normal books, you know, that most people read, I also was willing to look at things like Enoch, you know what I mean, which most people reject outright straight away anyway. Um, and so the concepts like the Nephilim and giants and angels mating with human women, a lot of that for me as coming from an atheistic, relatively secular viewpoint answered a lot of questions. It's so, you know, the typical why is God a cruel, vindictive, evil God who would flood the whole world? You know, explain that one, Christians. Turns out there was a very good reason for it. And if anything, it was a mercy more than anything. And it's a good job he did do that. <laughs> Otherwise, we'd be in a pretty bad situation. And again, it was one impactful realization after another. 
just by swimming around in the biblical narrative and it, it led to where I am today. And most of my channel is a study on these things. So your, your story is um, very typical to what I, well, I see, as you know, Paul, I, I grew up Christian. I grew up in a, uh, a PK, a pastor's kid in a parsonage. And I, I see those two distinctions between people who came into it later in life versus those who grew up in it. And um, for the people who grew up within, as you, you call it, Christianese, which I thought was a little funny, um, there's a lot of these hurdles to get over, these doctrines, these, um, uh, you know, just, you know, you, you're thrown into a box and like, okay, you got to believe these doctrines, boom, 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 boom. And um, a lot of traditions of men, other things like that. And it's hard to push past that, uh, that propaganda, whatever you want to call it. And so what happens is a lot of people like you, they come in later in life, they're able to circumnavigate all of that and come in with these fresh eyes. They're not taught, you know, all these traditions through the years based on, you know, whether your, your denomination is Baptist or Pentecostal or whatever it is, and you come in with fresh eyes and you see it. So you have this heads up above a lot of other people who are sunk down in their belief systems. They can't get past it. Right. Uh, but what happens is, is, as you mentioned, you come into the, the church and you want to feel accepted in the church and, and, and everyone else is like, who is this? You know, what in the world? You're crazy talking about, you know, Nephilim, right? All mm -hmm. that kind of stuff. Um, but before, well, before I say this, I'm, I'm going to throw a couple questions at you. And I sure. I don't, I, I hope these aren't curveballs or anything like that. I'm asking you specifically because I get asked this question all the time. And I think this is a really good insight into how somebody uh, thinks. And so the first is... Uh, a famous question in the Gospels when Yahushua is uh, before Pilate and he's uh, about to get crucified, and they're you know he's trying to figure out who are you right, and he he throws up both hands. He says, famous question, what is truth? All right, and you know very postmodernist phrase. Uh, but for you, how what is truth? I mean, ultimately, the only thing I found which is repeatable is that uh, god is god is real and that's as true as i can probably get and um over and over again through my own experiences personally spiritual experiences i know that, that he's a loving god and he meant he did save us he wants to save us he's not a cruel in vindictive prison keeper like a lot of people want to make us out to be and you know there's so much so much lies from the world that it's, it's difficult to hold on to anything else other than that basic the basic gospel that he sent his only begotten son to to die for our sins you know and to save us and give us a way back to him now again i know many people can argue over theology and the specifics of that and the right way to do that um but i don't get into that personally uh well so, so the second so you and i are obviously on on, on the same page we would say uh, we come from a biblical worldview. The, the Bible is true. I, you could phrase it like it is the testimony of um, Elohim, of Allahayam. All right. It is his mm -hmm. word, right? He's testifying to something, right? All right. So second part is uh, how do you determine what truth is? So both you and I, we're, we're coming off of the springboard of, okay, we have a biblical worldview. The Bible is true. Um, and let me just uh, say real quick, because it's interesting, you know, coming from you, you had mentioned you came from a, like a Gnostic worldview when you came in 2012, 2014. Um, and the one thing I love about the Bible is that it's 
you go anywhere all over the world, you see these common themes. You see the worship of the serpent. You see the 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 Gnostic uh, lie, the delusion, which is that you are your own god. Correct. I mean, you mm -hmm. that you you you're, you can save yourself ultimately. You can become like uh, Allah. Mm -hmm. uh, you see that all over the world. You see uh, the the world uh, the flood deluge. You see the uh, or uh, the great deluge. Uh, you see uh, the Tower of Babel. You yeah. see giants, right? You the, the the Nephilim and so on and so forth. You see the alien uh, incursion. Well, what's amazing is that the Bible, of course, is the only one that, that for me, satisfactorily answers those questions and actually exposes those things. It exposes, you know, them as the, the ancient aliens as the watchers. It, you know, it shows the, you know, the giants, as you know, as the children of them, right? And you mm -hmm. see, you know, all, all these things, right? It's just, it's incredible how it's the one book that ties all these things together. So my next question is, how do you determine truth? When you're, when you're researching something, and you have like phenomenal research on uh, the, the the you know the the clowns uh, the clowns are nephilim right? Mm -hmm. um, how when you're looking at stuff, how do you determine what is truth? Well, look, I'm always open to be proven wrong by many things as well. Um, I tend not to hold too steadfast to details, but I hold on to the overarching truth that is in God's hands and. Asking you will you shall receive is something I I I through evidence seems seems to be working for me. You know, I asked God to save me, He did. I asked God to explain to me what's going on, and over time things do seem to get revealed. Now I'm not trying to go through a gnosis type version here of some kind. You know, it's uh, sure. I'm always testing all things and holding it against what the biblical narrative actually says. But it's it's a, it's a difficult question to answer. No, it really is because. I, I'm of the mindset through my research, I've always been like this, is I'm willing to take on every possible perspective for a particular angle or theory. I, I, Like I said, I got you on my channel to share your view on the Millennial Kingdom, for example. Yeah. But I also got other people on who have maybe have alternative theologies and worldviews to share their work on the particular topic too, because I want to take it all in. I want to know it all. So when the truth does inevitably be revealed or is admitted or becomes obvious, I won't be blindsided. That's me. <laughs> that's maybe that's me. Maybe that's I'm a control freak or something deep down, and I just have to <laughs> get a grasp of something or everything, so I'm not taken by surprise. Maybe I just don't like surprises, and that's something about me. But um, I'm always willing to humor something as truth to its inevitable conclusions, so I can fully understand the concept. So it's a hard question for me to ask because um, many times I believe many things to be true which have been proven maybe wrong or questionable. So, so that's why I really I don't hold on to much other than um, God has my best interest at heart and just trust trusty that he has a plan here. You know, and that's what it always really comes back to. Everything else for me is a journey. It's 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 it's, it's it, I suppose it's fun in a way. I enjoy researching these things and hashing out all the ideas and speculating as much as possible. And and I believe, you no, know, there's the things I do believe, which I would hold as truth, like my theory on the clowns, for example, I think I've made enough, a strong enough case to say, yes, this seems to be what the clown really is a symbol for, and this seems to be where it actually came from. Uh, but there are plenty of people out there who would disagree with me, and maybe they're right maybe they're right to disagree maybe i'm just delusional who knows but um no yeah. <laughs> I'm, not trying, I'm not trying to put you on the hot seat here i just I, no i know i know 
it's a question people ask me all the time. What is truth yeah. and how do you determine what truth is? Even if you can agree on the, the biblical worldview, how do you determine what truth? So I was just kind of curious what your thoughts were. And um, and yeah, so getting on to the clowns, because I, I was uh, actually going through, and it, it was interesting because I see that your channel, it was uh, it stopped like right around 2017 or, or the whereabouts, 2018 or somewhere in well, there. It, it, I think it was 2018, I think, yeah. if I remember correctly, yeah. Yeah, and then there was a five-year gap, and you just jumped into it again. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was, you know, going through today and reviewing some of your old material, and um, something that struck me with the DMT because this is something back in 2018, right around the time you left, that I was putting a. People don't know this about me, Terry. I was putting a lot of um, research into DMT, mm -hmm. and I just wanted to share this really quickly and just get your thoughts on this. This was um, sure. Uh, I. I haven't read this book in almost a decade, but maybe you guys can see this on camera here. It got fuzzy now on me. It's called Mystery School in Hyperspace. Mm -hmm. So as soon as I saw the title, because I was you know, researching mystery schools, I was really into the mystery schools. And um, as soon as I read this, I'm like, I got to read this, right? Well, he has this whole section on the space age. And he, he goes through about how you know DMT got started with the, the CIA was pushing it and all this kind of stuff. And he... Um, he he talks about how there's a there's a space connection. Now this guy is totally on board. He's not exposing how space is fake or anything like that. But he was saying that the entire space race in the 1960s was actually it was lining up with the DMT movement. Hmm. And um, so here's here's like one of the uh, here's a quote from someone who was doing the DMT test in the 60s, and this is what he said the DMT experience was like. He said the whole room is filled with spirits. It makes me dizzy. Now it is too much. I feel exactly as if I were flying. I have the feeling uh, this is above everything, above the earth. And and then he goes, it is comforting to know I am back on earth again. Everything has a spiritual tinge to it, but it, it is so real. I feel that I have landed. And he starts to go through the writer about how over the next dec a decade, we see the sequence of events with DMT uh, of space orbit and return to earth or the intake high in the landing. And then he starts quoting uh, Neil Armstrong's actual words when he lands on the moon, when he says, um, uh, Houston Tranquility Base here, the Eagle has landed. And uh, and then they say, Roger Tranquility, we copy you on the ground. You've got a bunch of guys about to turn blue. We're breathing again. And anyways, he, he goes through and he talks about how the um, uh, it was actually designed, like even the, well, let me quote this here. Uh, uh, I had it. Now I don't have it anymore. Um, whatever. It doesn't matter. But I thought that was kind of cool. Oh, he talked about all the uh, the broadcasters and stuff that they were actually reading from these scripts that were designed as a ceremony to um, to usher in, you know, this kind of, well, a DMT type ceremony. I found that really interesting, which brings me back to 2016 when we had all these creepy clown sightings. And there was, mm -hmm. you had mentioned in one of your interviews that it was a ceremony. I think you used the word ceremony. And maybe you could elaborate on that a little bit. What do you think that that was, what was the purpose of that media event? Where, because I remember that. I remember when all those creepy clowns were showing up. Yeah. Well, well, it's based on the philosophy from, much research that nothing gets to be on that box in the corner of the room unless they want you to see it there's a purpose behind behind everything they show on it and um what caught my attention when i saw the creepy clown sightings of 2016 is that every news station of every state and even country was covering it and that's odd 
for such a trivial event. If it was just like a localized event, maybe in a couple of states here and there, or whatever one state, then fair enough, that local news station could cover that event and it wouldn't be neither here nor there, just maybe just a, an elaborate prank or something. But the, the fact that it was so widespread across the entirety of America and even into England as well in the Western Hemisphere, um, tell, and the news was so hyper-focused on making sure you knew about it, um, I, I knew straight away, okay, so the clown is a symbol for something. It means something to these people. It's not just a throwaway gag or something spooky for Halloween. Um, they want you to know that the Nephilim are mysteriously appearing, is what I later discovered. But at that time, it was just a symbolic representation of clowns are going to mysteriously just appear, you know. And in a way, you could you can I I kind of humor that it was maybe kind of like a predictive programming event of some kind. What they were trying to do is get people prepared, maybe for a day of days of Noah situation, where you know the Nephilim would return. So symbolically speaking, it's kind of creepy clown sightings. It's the Nephilim returning type thing, and people are seeing clown-like creatures appear out of the shadows or in an ethereal sense. And that was my first clue that clowns had something to do with the occult. You know, that was my first clue, and that's what led me to do my research and to actually create this year-long thing. Just to backtrack a little bit, you know, you said that I had a five-year hiatus, so I did start the series in 2016 in October, mm. not long after the Creepy Clown sighting event, just hashing it out. I didn't have any conclusions then. I was just talking out what I'm thinking about it. And those early videos, I'm not very proud of them. They're, they're all over the place. I, I had a very different attitude then as well. I was quite hot-headed you know and and a new christian quite all over the place and my thoughts didn't have a really a solid foundation yet of of even what i believed and um i was also embroiled in a in a I don't, want, I don't want to say the word, but my, let's say minor attracted persons maps shall we call them that okay these people at the time were pushing that agenda that it's okay to to, to you know abuse children and I was calling them out on my channel and then getting attacked en masse by, I guess, people that were attracted to children. So I was embroiled in this nasty mindset of war, you know. So my attitude kind of, and my tiredness was coming through a lot in those early videos, I think. Um, but it got to the point because of the controversial things I was getting involved with and going up against um, that my workplace found my channel and told me I have to stop making videos and stop YouTube if I want to maintain my position as a manager. And I had just got this manager's position not that long prior. And I was, I, it's not a proud moment, it really isn't, but I capitulated and I took the channel down. Um, you know, and it was sad, it was a sad day and I didn't enjoy it, but I realized in hindsight, maybe it was what was best for me mentally. Um, and I think God used that opportunity to teach me things because I was a manager, I, I, I learned how to be a leader of men in a sense, how to lead teams, what it meant to be a leader. I learned a lot in those five years as a manager of, of a team of people at a supermarket. I know it seems trivial, you know, but um, it's it's wisdom and knowledge I wouldn't have otherwise have experienced if I hadn't I've, I've fully committed to that role, you know. But it got to the point after the end of the five years where I was uh, exacerbated with the company. Um, I, I, I was had this nagging feeling that I'm... I'm not a, a supermarket manager. I'm a conspiracy theorist. I shouldn't be doing this. You know, it's not, it's not what I was called to do. You know, it's not who I was. It's just what I happened to be doing during that time. So 
um, after I got attacked by a member of the public and after many horrible events going all the way through the, 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 the pandemic, you know, working in retail, I saw the mad people with toilet roll and everything going down and all the pasta coming off the shelves and the abuse hurled at me, you know, and I was obviously rejecting a lot of the mandates, which obviously caused a lot of pressure as well in working with the public and other things. And, um, it was one beat down after another working for that company one abuse after another working for that company accusations thrown against me a theft which were false which i proved as unequivocally false but the people who made the accusations had no reprimand and it was just their attempt to get rid of me because they wanted to promote somebody else ahead of me it was just internal nagging politics but again i learned a lot about how people work doing <laughs> so in, in a way you know that five years was me learning to grow up basically and and gain some life skills which i wouldn't otherwise have had and i felt it's time to leave that and i gave it all to god basically and said okay i'm, I'm putting it in your hands i'm gonna start my own company i'm going self-employed and i'm going back to youtube so we're, i now run a wedding photography company with my wife we had a good first year um and here's to a, a stronger second year but i also started the channel up again and it just went crazy um the I... it's grown exponentially and i've added like I don't know, 30 new episodes to the clown series. And I've, I polished up my work. I'm, I think I'm a lot calmer now and um, I've come at it from a whole new kind of angle, but yeah, that's basically where I, I've been. Yeah. You've been a, you've been a busy boy. And um, I, I didn't realize you were, I remember you from, um, I guess it would have been 2018. I remember people mm -hmm. talking about, Oh, you got to check out this like Nephilim clown thing. And, uh, and then I realized, yeah, you, you came back on like a year ago or something like that. But I did, also did not know that you were, I just found out now that uh, you're a wedding photographer. So, is yeah. that, I mean, is that accurate? So you're a wedding photographer. So, um, I, I mean, I know, did, did you happen to know I used to be a wedding photographer 20 years ago? No, I didn't. I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah, it's so, yeah, y'all bless you. I mean, that's, it's, um, it, it really hit me how, how, you know, uh, now, with an art background, I totally get why you're in that. And uh, I won't go off the rails on this, but uh, I, I went into wedding photography back with the switch from film to digital. And there was a huge mm. like hole, like a vacuum, where you had a, an entire generation of professional photographers who were filmed. They're like, I'm not doing this. I'm not, I'm not like, I've been doing this 30 years. I'm, I'm walking away from this right now, right? They, you know, they started out like in the 70s or the 80s or whatever. And so I came in and I started doing it. And um, that's how I got my start. Yeah, and I remember every weekend I was I was flying back to you know I was based out of California. I'm flying to Boston, New York, Chicago, D.C., Puerto Rico, Alaska, you know, everywhere, Colorado, you know, Washington, wherever. And um, anyways, I remember that the day I looked in, in this uh, survey, the study came out on the most difficult jobs you could work, and I saw photographer right in there, wedged between like steel worker and coal miner, and I'm like, oh. It's a tough job. So I, I uh, hats off to you, Paul, for uh, doing that. It's a really awesome though that you're in that with your wife as well. So that's some good yeah. support uh, in the wedding industry. So it, it, so it, it, it's, it's it interesting. Is it's interesting, but it's I, I'll admit it's, it's it's hard to corral masses of people on a someone's special day. And in a way, it's it's odd. You kind of become the coordinator of the entire day. You become the wedding coordinator when you're the photographer. It's very odd. And um, but it's. I'm I'm a personable person. I'm good with people. I always I kind of always have been. I, I'm just I'm just one of those guys, you know. And 
um i don't really get stage fright very easily so it's easy it's easy for me to do that type of thing so it, it naturally just kind of fit into place quite well um and it's it's a very saturated industry though so i'm lucky i'm actually also blessed that um even though that is an income for my family it's not my sole income i also make a living doing what i do online as well um and again that's a blessing i get to do what i love now and it's like i said it's i i took a leap of faith quit a very well-paying managerial job to have a go on my own and i've landed on my feet by just talking <laughs> it's all, literally what it came down to you know and i was obviously utilizing my knowledge and skills in photography has helped as well so it's just one of those yeah i i think the hardest thing about i'm sorry you got me off on this now i wasn't expecting you. i think the hardest thing about wedding photography is that you're selling people on a product that doesn't exist yet mm -hmm. like they're, they're going to go i want to hire you because you did this and this and this and this work uh, but the product doesn't exist yet. You have no control over the weather, you know, everything that's going to happen. You can't do reshoots, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, they're, they're probably, I don't even know what weddings cost now. I remember the average American wedding back 20 years ago was $50,000 for one day. So I have no clue what I, I'm totally out of it. But, you know, you can't just go, can you drop another $50,000? Let's go back in and do some reshoots. You can't do mm -hmm. that, right? And also, people love other people in your work but they're going to judge themselves in your work very differently. So when they see the photos, they're like, yeah, you know, it's, it's a tough field. It's a tough field. Um, okay. So yeah, let's get back into the, <laughs> after that fun little uh, commercial break right there. Yeah. So anyone out, anyone out there in the UK region, we got to, you know, I mean, come on guys, you guys totally want this guy to come photograph your wedding. You're going to get married. So <laughs> um, if I, if I ever, uh, um, I mean, I, my, my wife is a one-stop shop, so I guess I, I'll, I'll never get married again, so I can't hire you. Sorry. But, <laughs> all right. Um, all right. So um, Nephilim, uh, clowns, a lot of people out there from I'm actually, what I'm really interested in is your take on what's going on with the Millennial Kingdom short season, because I see you pumping out a lot of videos and you're interviewing a lot of people. You know, you mm -hmm. brought on several different people. They all have their takes. And that was one of the things that came up earlier today when I said, you know, how do you determine truth? And here you're watching a lot of different people come in with it. It's, it's almost like in the early years of the flat earth where you had all these people going, I know we don't live on a globe. I know it's not a spinning, wobbling globe hurtling through space, but mm -hmm. what, what do we actually live on? Right. And a lot of the flat earthists, there were all these different like wars for like, you know, what map was going to monopolize everything. You know, there were the Pac-Man people and the, the pyramid uh, multidimensional people and the, you know, all the different stuff like that. There were even some like, uh, like eyeball earth people. They didn't call themselves. It was like this oval, like, but it kind of like, whatever. Um, I remember so that. I remember that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So you're, so you're, it's interesting because you're getting a different perspective out there. I, uh, I just, you know, keep to my own lane. I do my own research, just put out my own stuff. I don't follow a lot of what other people are saying, but you've been getting a lot of that recently. So I'd be interested to hear your take on some of that, uh, the different mm -hmm. ideas that are coming out and what your ideas are. That's, you know, whatever's going on. I mean, it's, it's, it's a very broad subject. This is the thing it depends on what facet you want my opinion on, to be honest, and my, my opinion on, um, who are we? after the after the resurrection or, or after the um, the millennial reign ends and the little season starts so, when does yeah. the resurrection happen i mean there's also there's all sorts i think I, I, the problem is no if you let me go I, I will go on for like three hours so you're gonna if you want like a specific view on on it that maybe narrow it down a little <laughs> a little bit but yeah well, the, i've been pumping out a lot of content about it you're right you're right yeah, yeah. so I'll, I'll let you pick i mean we, okay so 
we're looking at the investigation is, are we living in Revelation 20? All right. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of things you could work with. Uh, has New Jerusalem come down yet or not? That's the, the big question that everybody has. Mm -hmm. uh, how did the millennial kingdom start? When did it start? Uh, are we looking at missing time? Are we, uh, is the timeline pretty consistent? Uh, how mm -hmm. long is the short season? When did the short season start? Um, you know, it, yeah, there's the resurrection thing, uh, as you brought up. Uh, you have greater Tartaria, you know, and the architecture and um, all that stuff. So, you, I mean, you could pick any of it and just, you know, what what are your, what does like the package deal look like for you? What are your conclusions? What are the things you've not concluded? You're unsure on? It could be anything. Maybe maybe it might be good just to just to explain what why I'm even talking about it and what got me here, you know, because like I said, I, I explained at the beginning, my channel is, I, I'm one of those guys, I, I will look at every single theory. My channel's called Understanding Conspiracy for a reason. I want to know it all because I'm not just interested in just one theory to answer everything. I want to know every single idea out there surrounding every single conspiracy to create a holistic image. Where does each conspiracy fit into the, the wider puzzle you know so far like i said the biblical narrative fits it all nicely as one complete picture once you start you know every every conspiracy is a piece towards these agendas at play and i, I was there initially when i first obviously came to you know wake up and, and i became a christian i was with a lot of christians it's all about end times jesus is about to return tribulation is about to begin to begin type of theology you know and um, I was there looking for the signs of the times, trying to determine who 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 was the next Antichrist, what was the mark of the beast going to be, following transhumanism and all these type of things, trying to figure out, is that the mark of the beast or what's the black goose to fall about over here as well? Oh, AI is on the rise as well. Is that going to be the, the, the thing that gives life to the beast? And you know, it's like, I was there with a lot of people seeing the signs in the heavens, the earthquakes everywhere, the wars and rumors of wars. And it's been perpetually for a decade one scare event after another saying Jesus is about to return. These are the signs and we're going through tribulation, you know, but I have always felt at the back of my mind, there's something off about all of this. It all seems very contrived. It feels like a script is being played out in front of my eyes by the people who want me to believe Jesus is about to return. And this is a huge issue of faith as well, you know, cause, um, when it, people have been waiting 2000 years for Jesus to turn up, you know, and it's kind of how much longer are we supposed to wait is that there's always a new mark of the beast. There's always a new thing. It could be, there's always actors on the world stage messing with us like Obama changing his license plate on the limo to be the beast, you know, and these type of things, always doing little things like that all the time. And then I, I looked and I noticed that, you know, this, this, this type of theology this dispensationalist and perhaps Zionist theology as well, and also just this idea of theology that is premillennialism, is allowed to be talked about quite heavily. It's on the TV as well. It's what the megachurches basically go along with. It seems to be the normal theology, you know, and it, they, they the sanctioned theology for Christians, Christianity today. And uh, I watched conspiracy go throughout the years and these, these topics appear as well, you know. So let's say the Flat Earth was perhaps the first major turning point around the 2013-14 period and like you said there's this explosion wasn't there coming out of this of uh, models <laughs> numerous models of what the earth could be you know eyeball earth being one of them i think casey from entered the stars is the guy who came up with that concept um, but then you have the obviously numerous flat map models the circular disc model the square pac-man model as you described you know the uh 
it got to the point, I, there's even concave where it's still a sphere, but we're living on the inside of the ball, yep. looking in the sense, you know, I, I did them all like I do it, like I'm doing it right now with the millennial rain topic. I did the same thing with flat earth. I want to hear them all. Give me all your models. I want to hear every single one and your justification for why that is the truth. Cause the, the, I found a, it, this happens a lot, but most of these channels who have their model, are dogmatic about it i have the truth and you need to listen to me that's really follows a lot of these type of channels my way is the only way and anybody else is an idiot if they don't see it my way i've never been like that but i'm willing to listen to their idea anyway <laughs> you know then so i at my conclusion came at the end of the flat earth season of conspiracy is okay well it's definitely not what they've told us that's all i can really take from it i wasn't there when god laid the foundations of the earth I didn't see it from his perspective and I can't see it from his perspective. So I'm not going to settle on, I know the shape or model precisely, but all I can know is what I don't know. I, and by that, I mean, I know it's not what they've told us. It's not what NASA is purporting. So I call it, it's an enclosed system. That's as much as I can know when in, a, it's not infinite space. It's an enclosed system. And that's where I settled on that. And I'm happy with that. I'm happy with that answer, but I'm aware of all the possibilities thoroughly. So I tackled flat earth with that aspect. And then Mandela effect turned up. That was the next wave. And that was a huge contentious topic for a good couple of years, 2014 to 2016 period, roughly. And I did the same thing again. I got new age perspectives on my channel. I got Christian angles and explanations. And I interviewed a lot of people. Sadly, a lot of those videos are gone now because YouTube has just taken them, taken them away, outright removed them. It's very odd. Um, and but I was in the game of hashing the idea out with everybody, and I still don't know what the, to make of the Mandela effect. <laughs> I'm, still, the, the, I'm still not 100%, you know. Sorry, the Mandela effect was so contentious when it first came out. Oh, yeah. And for back in 2016, I was flat earth Mandela effect, and the flat earthists hated the Mandela effect. They're mm -hmm. like, This is you know, this is you know, this is all control, this is all fake, you're, you're making us look bad. Um, yeah, it's highly, but now it's not even a taboo subject anymore. Now it's just like, you know, you go talk about it with the normies and they're like, okay, you know, so. Yeah. Um, and pri primarily then it was always a fight. There's always been this dichotomy and conspiracy. It's the Christians versus the new ages. That's at least what it was in the old school Christianity years ago, you know, the 2012 period coming up to the, you know, the spirit science types, you know, who were always, um, the, the Anunnaki types, the David Icke type truthers. And then yeah. you had the then you had the Christian truthers, and that they were the, really the only two factions. But then you also had that other contingent, which I wouldn't call real truthers; it's more conspiratainment, the left-right paradigm, the political factions. You know, the alt-right versus the far-left type of truthers. Yeah. You know, the ninety-nine percenters or the one percenters, the anonymous groups versus the Stephen Crowder types. You know, there's always been that battle. But I, I think they're just in a completely lost, pointless battle. They're not really getting anywhere. But then in the consp real conspiracy you know, arena, it was always the New Ages versus the Christians in the middle. And I was always trying to be a voice of like, okay, well, we're all trying to get to the truth here. Chill out. Let's see what we can all offer. But um, that was a long time ago. When I, when I That was 2018. That's the state it was left in. <laughs> you know, but when I came, when I came back, uh, it's weird now. I think all these early New Age chakra alignment spiritual types have now graduated into just outright learned occult Gnosticism. They're all in that camp now, and they're all swimming in extreme hyper Gnostic thinking. 
um, alchemical thinking, all that type of stuff, thinking they're really, really deep and wise and have all these this deep esoteric knowledge. And then the Christians are still there, but they're weaker than they used to be. When I came back into in at the start of 2023, it's just a lot of them are gone. A lot of them are even dead, to be honest. And it's kind of the channels have disappeared. But this, there's this really loud, strong, growing contingent of Gnostic truthers now, which kind of dominate the arena. And they've, they've co-opted all the topics, Mandela Effect, Flat Earth, everything. And then Tartaria was the, this big thing when I came back, which I had been listening to for a long time before I made came back on my channel. I was always aware of it, this hidden history stuff. And I think, I think was it Max Max Egan? Is that his name? He's an Australian who was always on his own radio show talking about this years ago, about how history's all a lie, but he always had his social Christianity and all of that's a lie too angle thrown in there, and it's all done by the evil controllers, you know, to keep us suppressed and weak or something very you know, prison planet type stuff. But I remember listening to him talking about history is just a, me a mess. It's an absolute mess. And he had a lot of valid points to make. And then Tartaria stuff came out, the Ant Antoli Fomenko information started coming out to the forefront. And then the Tartarians were really rolling with that. And new chronologists were turning up, but they all had a very strong anti-Christian undertone to everything mm -hmm. they were saying all the time. And I wasn't cool with that. <laughs> Naturally, I'm like, okay, you know, it's one thing to say history is a lie, but why you have to consistently try and then rope in Christianity with that and say that's all just absolute nonsense as well along with it. And then push the same lie I was hearing on the DMT trips back in the day. You're a god. We're all god collectively. We just need to unlock our collective power or something. I don't know. All energy and frequency. And we were, we were I, I was shocked, you know. So go ahead. Sorry. We were talking about this, you and I, uh, privately uh, after the last interview, and we were talking like an, almost an hour about this and and the the change that you saw happen. And of course, I mean, I I came out with a video about four months ago where I talked about how the community is fractured, and mm. I got a lot of criticism for that. They're like, "No, you're not supposed to say that. That's not true." And uh, but from behind the scenes, I actually watched it happen. And uh, the, the observations uh, you had about, you know, the, the flat earth movement, for example, started out as a good old, you know, uh, good old boy, a Baptist boys, you know, club mm -hmm. type of thing. You know, it was a bunch of uh, these, you know, KJV guys and, you know, just Bible readers going, yeah, the earth is flat. And it was very exoteric, you know, it was just mm -hmm. very uh, straightforward. And then I remember when the, the split happened uh, without going into too much inside detail, but that was back when I was writing my uh, book, The Unexpected Cosmology, which then became the website. But I was interviewing, you know, dozens of different people in the flat earth movement all across the board. And it started really well. And then by the end of the project, it never finished because mm -hmm. there was this huge just split. And people are like, well, if he's in the book, I don't want to be in it. If he's in the book, you know, and there, that guy's a show and that guy's a show and I'm not going to be a part of this. And I, I couldn't even finish it at that point. Uh, but it, there became, there went an all out war in early, I would say early 2020, late 2019 on Christianity, where you had a lot of these uh, truthers going, we're sick and tired of, of the Bible and Christianity being the spokesperson for this movement. And so they did a, you know, a push off. And so, yeah, when you come back in all of a sudden, it's almost like when um, Kent Hovind, you know, he goes to prison. And he comes back and all of a sudden everyone believes in the, the earth is flat. It's like, what, what, what happened when I was in prison? And mm -hmm. uh, so, yeah, but it, it feels like that now where there is, um, uh, you know, there's no shortage of people calling me a Gnostic, right? Uh, I mean, you've seen that. Um, but there's, there's a lot of name calling that way, but there's no shortage of very, you know, YouTubers who come across like they're these gurus, like these esoteric gurus. Mm -hmm. And I almost see it like it's a master wearing. I don't think it's really who they are, but they talk a certain way and they present a certain way. And um, yeah, anyways, 
I want to give what I'm what I'm curious about is uh, on your your journey of looking into the short seas in the Millennial Kingdom. Uh, something else you could address too is how this has changed your outlook for the world. Maybe your theology, your doctrine. Um, I, I don't know yeah. what word to put in there. Yeah, well, like I said, I'd laid the foundation there for how I got to the Millennial Kingdom. It seemed like the logical next big thing in that train of big topics that kind of took the whole conspiracy culture by storm. Now, in between those, the, the big three, you know, let's say Flat Earth, Mandela and Tartaria, there's been other things that have come along. I remember there was a huge false flag hoax uh, contingents of truthers during that early period where everything was a hoax, everything was crisis actors, everything is fake on the media. Um, there was a lot of that going around at the time as well. There was a, there was a, there was like a golden age of conspiracy around maybe the 2014 to 2017 period, but it, it started to collapse when things got hyper political during that 2016 period where Brexit was happening and the Trump elections were starting to begin, and then there was that. It started getting more focused in the SJWs versus the 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 hyper conservatives, and then things just started to blur and get chaotic and um so like i said I, I noticed all these strange patterns but i noticed these were the big ones and then suddenly while i'm taking my hiatus at the end of it people are now talking about this millennial kingdom concept and it was very underground very low level small channels talking about this concept when, but, when, but did, I don't, when did, when did you start hearing about it when it was low level when did you start hearing about it um, like I said, I think it was Max Egan was mentioning kind of this idea, maybe like 2000 and would have been maybe 18, 19 period. But then I started to see, see channels like uh, Exploring Tartaria, for example, was the first one that got me clued into it. I think she was 2018, maybe 19 when she made her first videos about it. And then she just fell off the fell off the earth i don't know where she is she's gone now stop making videos but that that initial injection of her just speculating oh I, th I think the millennial raid may have already happened it's basically just that's that's her entire video series summed up in like three sentences three words there i think it's already happened <laughs> you know there seems to be a lot of weird stuff going on and then from there you, you know i i i saw a lot of mud flooders turn up and people, I think uh, there may be a channel called Mudflood was Armageddon, who was, all, I remember listening to his early work as well. And he was going on about this concept that it was biblical in concept. It was Armageddon. It was the tribulation that caused the mud flood and all these other things. And, you know, initially it was that kind of, ah, this is interesting, but I'm just going to put it to one side for now. But then I, I kept seeing it, it was growing more, but then I started to find Shelley, you know, talking about it as well. And things did start to click in my mind and then, and then when i came back onto youtube myself and i was i was more swimming in nephilim nephilology you know and and biblical history in that respect and i was had to have a book to write which i'm still writing you know so i didn't really want to tackle this subject yet but it was always just there and i, I couldn't stop thinking about it and you know i'm, I'm not a one-trick pony my ch i might be the guy who talks about the clowns but i talk about everything and i felt like i need to discuss this topic i need to because everyone's tartaria obsessed right now but this makes more sense this makes way more sense about what's going on here you know and i just made that one video didn't i maybe a few months ago just just laying it out so this is the topic this is the millennial reign theory and what i did was pull from all of these channels i'd i'd been watching over the last three years and Alpha, I think Alpha Talks is one of them as well. And there's too many to count, you know, because there was a lot of channels talking about it, but it was relatively unknown. Everyone was still on the Mudflood Tartaria hype. 
and everyone was following the John Le- the John Levi types, you know, and the the big the big the big ones mm-hmm. who were always going on about this topic. Um, but I just made this video explaining the millennial reign angle, and I never claimed own. I'm I'm not an expert on it. I just echoed what people had been saying and kind of made a summary video for twenty minutes, sat in my car, and it was. I was me trying to figure out, okay, then, so how can we square this then? So so what does this mean? Exactly. Revelations 20, you know, the, re- the rest of the dead are not resurrected till the thousand years is over. So are we those people then? Are we the resurrected dead? Is that is that what that means? You know, and I'm just asking these questions and with no real answers, you know, just, just hashing it out and the reactions that it went viral. The video's on like 160,000 views now or something. And I'm getting constant visceral reactions from people There's, it goes to one or two ways there's no lukewarm person about this topic when it comes to christianity it's either extreme full capitals no punctuation you're ridiculous i know you're wrong i know jesus is about to return and this is stupid you need to stop talking about it and then there's the other christians who are like oh my god <laughs> like this this makes sense you know and that's it that's the only two reactions you get there's no real oh well, that's interesting to think about i'll definitely put that on the shelf of wonder in the back of my mind and get on with my life it's it's one or the other and um that's what fascinated me the most about it the 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 knee-jerk visceral reactions this gives to a lot of christians now me as like i said as a christian who wasn't raised with any particular dogma it's easy for me to humor these ideas you know, it was easy for me to talk about it and not let it bother me too much. Um, I never I never became a Christian because I was taught that I get to avoid suffering and get raptured. I'm, I'm not a Christian based on some contractual yeah. thing that I don't get to suffer, which I think a lot of people are hoping for, you know. And that was, I, that was one of the things that was one of the things I said earlier when you were able to circumnavigate a lot of that, uh, the the propaganda or whatever you want to call it. indoctrination maybe is a better mm-hmm. word uh zionist indoctrination and that was the worldview i grew up in i mean it was tough it took years and years of taking the sledgehammer and breaking down that wall because uh, i remember sitting around the table in 1988 and believing that i was not going to live to see the year 1989 because uh this is what people would sit down and tell me that you know they say jesus is going to return in 1988 and then there was 88 reasons and then the, the the sequel was 89 reasons in 89 and 90 reasons in 1990 and it you know then you know omg when you know bill clinton became the president oh this is it this is this is the antichrist it, what's funny is that uh, uh, you know jimmy carter was the antichrist ronald reagan was the antichrist george hw bush was never the antichrist i don't, I don't think there was a person in the right mind who would ever go yeah that guy could pull it off mm-hmm. uh but, you know, obama all those guys and um so what you're doing is is it's your it's 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 like flat earth 2.0 right because people love that globe they love to hug that globe you know to their bosom and um what i've said with the globe earth over and over again it has little to nothing to do with the shape of the earth and has everything to do with the shape of humanity because they look in that globe and they see everything in that globe and they don't want to give it up mm-hmm. and it's the same way with this and people are so emotionally just fused to this um that it's it's almost like trying to i, I don't know i don't even know what, what a good comparison is you know but um you know just it's, it's like waking up someone and they're violent in their sleep or something i don't know well, but but the people have identified with 
pre pre millennialism. They've identified with that for so long. They've they've taught it for so long to all the loved ones. They they have made it about their personality that you know they're the ones who are preaching the word just before Jesus returns. They're going to get to reign with Christ for all the good works that they've done in up into that process. You know they are. Uh, they're saving souls from the evil that's about to come upon the earth and the destruction and the pain, you know. They, and I think a lot of people maybe have wrapped themselves up with a lot of pride with 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 premillennialism. It's, it's it's an odd thing because again, I've I've literally through my whole walk with Christ, I've never really thought about the rapture. I haven't cared about that concept. It's not my priority. I I I love Christ because I am thankful that He saved me from a life of depravity where I was on the brink of probably suicide. You know. And that's personal and i'm i'm just thankful for that and that i get to live a life while i have it here that is better than i ever could have imagined thanks to him you know and that's it i'm happy with that and i'm thankful for that and he he has me because of it you know i don't need anything else and i know there's going to be more maybe when i die now in great white throne judgment whatever comes next you know and that, that that's great you know but there's times where I, I, I don't feel worthy still. <laughs> you know? So I'm not really like, I've never really banked on my righteousness and the way I've, you know, preached the gospel is going to get me anywhere. It's kind of, I, I'm, a, I'm a sinner and I need a savior and Jesus has saved me and I'm happy. I'm happy for that. And it's worked and it's, it's, proved, it's proven to me that that's enough. But I think a lot of people that are, they still need the signs and they want the tribulation to be happening. So it proves to them that yeah, Jesus is real because look at all these earthquakes everywhere. It proves Jesus is about to come back and he's real because look at the wars that are starting in the Middle East and the need, the faith is hinging on tribulation. My faith doesn't hinge on that. So it was easy for me to, to question the, the timeline perspective quite easily. You know, it wasn't an issue for me internally, but I, I didn't realize it would be such a big issue for everybody else until I opened my mouth. Yeah. I didn't know that. I, I'm not aware of the rules of engagement for this. I don't speak Christianese, you know what I mean? And and yeah, I've realized, I've learned, well, what I just said, I learned from people's comments that how much they've, they've, they have identified solely with pre-millennialism, pre-trib ratchet stuff, you know, and to take that away from them, I don't think they'll know who they are anymore. It's not, you're, not, you're not attacking eschatology, you're attacking them personally when you say this and that's odd to me, but that's what I've noticed. To be, to be honest, uh, Paul, I, 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 I say so many things uh, that I never know what the one thing is, is that's going to just start the uh, tar and feather parade. Like it's, mm. it's, you never like whatever I think it's going to be, it's not that. And it's always something like really that that was it. Like that was the big moment that, so, but yeah. Uh, I, so I've learned that there's like, for me, there's like no patterns in this. It's just, it's just, you never know what the thing is, is going to uh, get people uh, ate crazy. Mm -hmm. But the, the idea that what you said about your lack of worth. Right. And I, I think that that's um, I think that's huge in this because and I, I don't want to say that somebody who, um, is really into rapture theory or whatever that they are, that they also don't feel uh, a lack of worth uh, or that they're not worthy or that, you know, the lamb alone is worthy to open the scrolls as it says in revelation. Um, but the, the, this, the fact of the matter is, is that this is the most entitled generation in a long time, at least in uh, anything on record officially. And an, ex an example of this is that uh, the baby boomer, I think the, the average household, particularly in World War II, the war generation, I think the average household had like 
three or four pictures of themselves in their house, just family photos. And mm. then the, the narcissism went through the roof uh, even 20 years ago where they started noticing that uh, the, the millennials, the Gen X and millennials would have upwards of 200 photos of themselves in their house. So as they're going through their house, they're just seeing these pictures of themselves up on the walls and it just me, me, me. And then of course, social media takes that through the roof, right? Um, and so there's a huge entitlement of when you're declaring that these things are past, it's like, how dare you take that away from me? Like my whole reality was hinged on the fact, you know, I was going to be the bride. I was going to be the 144,000. I was going to be this. I was, you know, I was going to be the one raptured out of here. And uh, so you're, you're kind of taking a lot of that, um, well, I'll say entitlement, but that might not be totally fair, but you're, you know, I'm taking a lot of that away from people. So I, I get the visceral reaction out of a lot of people. I, I can, you know, understand it. Um, quick question. Uh, you, you mentioned the book you're working on, uh, not to take us off topic, but this can be like a, a, a 15 second question. When do you expect to finish the book? Uh-oh, wait, uh, hold there on. There we go, sorry, that's my, I muted my mic, sorry, because I had some noise okay. in the background, that's, that's on me. Yeah, so the book is, um, I'm just finishing up chapter 17 of a planned 30 chapters. I'm, my target is to have the book uh, written first draft and then edited something a decent manuscript finished by the end of the year then obviously i will go into publishing early into the next year that's probably where i'm where i'm aiming for um i'm gonna do what i can to see if any publisher wants to pick it up or help me out in any way um but uh, maybe i might go down the, the self-publishing route if no one picks it up within a few months maybe um but the 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 support has been overwhelming the pre-orders have come through heavily i have i think i have about 63 pre-orders already um I, and i'm impressed that you actually know how many chapters you're going to have that's impressive from from one writer to another i'm impressed because i never know what i'm going to have until it's a it's us well to quote sorry to quote stephen king everybody uh but stephen king actually had a great analogy for writing and he said uh being a writer is like being an archaeologist and you're you're going you're walking through the desert and you stub your toe on something and you don't know what it is and so you start digging right mm -hmm. and it could just be a little tiny something or you start digging 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 and you, you got a whole pyramid right yeah. um but anyways that's that's impressive uh that you have it all planned out and you know well, scheduled. well I, I can quickly just quickly show, i can can i present on this is that possible can i share my screen please do um, oh yeah. okay so let's see how do i share your screen i have to figure that I th out i think i do that by clicking present here and i will share screen um and I will share this page so you can see it. Um, so can you see that on the screen now? No, right now I right now I see um, I see just your camera right now. I can make it. I can make the whole thing your presentation. But right now I just see you. Yeah, if you can make it, what I'm showing then. Um, see what comes up. Um, it says, <laughs> I'm, it, says I'm, it says I'm sharing, but I can't quite see it. Um, do I have to click it? Have you have you done that there? Um, um okay. <laughs> uh, well, my apologies for that then because I'm not that tech savvy. So I can uh, I can I can make your camera the full screen, but I can't force you to your camera to go off and something else. So I'm right. I'm but trying to I'm trying to present here. Um, what do you see? At I see your face right now. You I just see, see my you see my face talking because I've clicked. It says I'm sharing on um, Streamyard what I'm trying to show here. Um, 
it's at the bottom there can you can you see it at the bottom or is that just me can i, am I oh yeah yeah yeah. hold on hold on hold on hold on there okay, we there go we okay so this is this is my book this is what i'm working on um so if you look at the left side here i've already these are the sex so section one is 10 chapters um which is basic basic biblical history it's a, it's a summary of basically the genesis 6 conspiracy more than anything with my own thoughts thrown in there just to lay the foundation for why we even have nephilim to begin with and why there may possibly why we're it's it's kind of an introduction christianity for the conspiracy theorists out there you know and uh, so once that foundation is led that's written so section two is all about the clown which i'm currently writing um and like you said i have chapter 11 biblical descriptions of angels uh, chapter 12 biblical descriptions of nephilim and then chapter 13 modern encounters more more in, into the today's age outside of the bible north american skeletons and the bigfoot and wild men um phenomena found all over the earth you know and then chapter 14 is the origin of the clown and it's like you were saying there you know once you, you can you can have this simple enough chapter but once you actually start writing it it turns into a book of all of its own um so i mean this is, has taken me a long time to write just the history of the clown going into harlequin's demonic roots then the clown takeover as the main character within the harlequinards then joseph grimaldi the father of modern clowns explaining all the influences around his life including the secret societies and then chapter 15 is on to secret societies so i've just been writing this for the past month um, and this again has turned into a huge long tome, <laughs> just maybe like 16 to 25 pages alone, just explaining the secret society's influence throughout um, early theater and th and how we got the costume of a clown directly from uh, the Rakshasa demons of India, brought over by Charles Dibdin, a famous uh, playwright um, and you know, member of the, the fraternity of the Leicester Lodge. And I brought the receipts to explain it all and where he got his inspiration from, how he used to run a newspaper called The Devil, where he made a, he claims he made a deal with the devil for his fame. Oh, honestly, really dodgy stuff, you know? <laughs> and then the circuses, the Freemason rituals, how that's incorporated, then the Shriners and their involvement with modern circuses and what they believe, and then the Royal Order of the Jesters and the dodgy things they're involved with as well. And just how the clown is synonymous with secret societies they venerate the clown in fact to be a jester which is one of the highest honors within the whole fraternity it, you know they call themselves jesters to be of the highest of of the societies and there's a reason for that because they're talking about the gods you know and i've just been writing chapter 16 now the caricature and this is going into each section of the clown and why it represents the nephilim specifically and this is obviously callbacks constantly to chapter third to chapter 12 where there's biblical descriptions of the nephilim and uh, of the angels themselves and also modern descriptions of nephilim which justify why they look like this and again this is just section two and i've still got to write about the hat man uh, sacred clowning and then dmt jesters and then that'll be section two done onto section three which will again i've planned it out because i already know all this stuff it's all in my head but then to go out there and get, get the necessary references you know and you end up finding more information the more you do research for each topic so i have a rough outline here and i have a remaining um each chapter in this section three is about each continent and their own versions of nephilim representations and different folk traditions south america north america europe africa uh, the Indic regions, uh, Asia, Australasia, and the Oceanic regions as well. Um, so I've already got some 
bullet point notes of, of cultures I'm going to go to. I've already made many videos, in fact, on my channel discussing all of these things in depth. There's some extra ones on there which will need uh, fleshing out as well, which I've not discussed yet. Uh, so once that chapter's done, then it's on to all the fun stuff, modern day manifestations in media, clown murderers. I'm currently writing this whole chapter 27 on clown murderers. Um, I've just done an expose on John Wayne Gacy there, and I've just also done one about a Florida doorstep murderer from the 90s who was dressed as a clown, and there's many, many, many more to write about. And that's, I think that, I'm looking at this whole section four, and I'm thinking this might be a whole bu different book, to be honest. I'm starting to think, because um, it's all the pop culture stuff, the 2016 clown sightings, chorophobia, the fear of clowns. Uh, we're talking about the multicolored collective, which is my code word for the extreme liberal socialist types, you know, who like to dye their hair multicolors and uh, mutilate their bodies. Um, then you've got film and TV references to the clowns, the music industry's use of, of the clown costume to channel demons still today. Um, and then section five is basic conclusions. But I actually, I have mapped it out. But you know what seemed like a simple thing, for example, like let's say uh, chapter 15, Secret Societies and Clowns, has turned into a huge job with many subheadings. And I imagine many of these chapters will too. Uh, but I'm, I'm trucking along, you know, and I want this to be a, I want this to be a well-researched, thorough scholarly work. I'm not just slapping this together, you know, because I'm talking about something that needs proof. I'm bringing the evidence. It's referenced to the nines, you know. There's, I'm already on like... 313 references and then some you know what i mean this is uh this is a well-documented tome of of secret societies ancient history and uh folk uh, it's an anthropo uh, the middle section is an anthropological study on folk traditions as well which venerate the nephilim and why they use the clown costume to specifically channel their ancestor spirits and um, to summarize my entire theory, what all these folk traditional cultures do, which I'm going to talk about, is what the Freemasons have done. But they've created their costume and called it a clown. And they've introduced it into our society as a hidden symbol. Um, but they've just copied straight from India, mainly, in its, in its main uh, creation. Um, but it's evolved since then into uh, what we call a clown today. Um, but it's still the same. The costume you when, clowns when they, wear. Sorry, go ahead. When did they? When did they introduce it? It was uh, in 1799, and then the 8th turn of the century, 1800, is when it was popularized by the Patsy, which was Joseph Grimaldi, just the famous actor at the time who wore the costume. But the costume was designed by the son of a Freemason called Charles Dibdin, who was heavily involved with India. Charles Dibdin's brother, Chern, Thomas Dibdin, was a soldier in the British Army who was colonizing India at the same time, the East India Company. He actually died in India, and Charles Dibdin made a song dedicated to his brother. Um, and that song became incredibly famous during the, the time for sailors to sing. And he, Charles Dibdin was a prolific very, very, very famous Freemason of the day in the entertainment industry. Anyway, in true nepotistic form, his son, who was also called Charles Dibdin, just to complicate matters, um, he took over the theatre of the day where this famous actor was, uh, Joseph Grimaldi, and he changed the costume of a clown, which was just a boring, plain white servant's rag. He decided, for no explanation given in history, by the way, but he just decided to change the costume into a psychedelic a polka dot fractal demon monster. Um, completely not what the clown was known for prior to that. Prior to that, the clown dressed something like the French clown, Poirot, which was just all in white. 
you know, um, with white makeup, and that was it, really. Uh, but Joseph Grimaldi was dressed by this son of a Freemason in basically the same costume worn by the Rakshasa demons of India. Uh, the very same costumes, in fact, worn on the specific temples in Thailand, funnily enough. And you can see through the early artworks of that time period. So maybe if I just find it quickly, uh, Joseph Grimaldi. Um, so this is the actor who was dressed in the costume designed by the Freemasons. He's here wearing this particular early proto-costume, for example. Um, prior to that, um, Pedrolino. He, this is what Clown used to dress like, like an Elizabethan dog's body, like yep. an Elizabethan servant's class. But then suddenly he was changed to dress like, um, you just saw there, Joseph Grimaldi. Why the sudden drastic change after 300 years of, of the same relative costume? It's never explained, just that it happened. <laughs> you know. Um, but when you actually look into, like I said, the history, you know, um, Charles Dibdin. So this is Charles Dibdin Sr. here. He had his son right next to him here, uh, Charles Dibdin the Younger. So Charles Dibdin, again, high-level famous Freemason with ties to India. His son um, of the same name in the same industry, the apple doesn't fall, fall far from the tree, took over the theatre and introduced Indian, Indian demonic iconography into the theatre. So we have um, the Rakshasa Thailand temple, let's say. Um, he basically took this costume and dressed Joseph Grimaldi in the exact same thing. Um, so there's a specific one called the Kala Sung Sang remnant of this. So Kala Sung Sang Demon. It translates to Upside Down Demon. Um, so this is quite a famous rendition. The Upside Down Demon here. This is the exact same costume you just saw Joseph Grimaldi wearing. Um, here, Upside Down. Can you see? Uh, so mm -hmm. they did literally, they literally modeled it after the the Indians' representations of the demonic. So uh, there you go. That's where you get the clown from through and through. It is a representation of demons, uh, specifically the Rakshasa of India. But since then, that became the industry standard, and it got adopted into American circuses, um, and it became basically the demonic representation for the Freemasonic rituals done on a grand scale through a circus. So you have the ringleader, for example, of any circus. Uh, this is actually the worshipful grandmaster of any lodge. Um, yeah, sorry, there it was, the, the most worshipful grandmaster. It's the same thing. Most people don't know this, but it's only the most worshipful grandmaster who's allowed to wear a top hat um, in the lodge. Um, and basically what circuses were, were a proto... Uh, mimic of lodge rituals done on a grand scale in the public eye without the public realizing it. So the ringleader is the worshipful grandmaster orchestrating the ritual, and the clowns represent the Nephilim, which are venerated by these ancient uh, mystic mystery school wisdoms, <laughs> which date back to the antediluvian age. You know, so that's basically where you get clowns from. There, uh, it's just the this particular sex version of ancestor spirit worship culture so um you find that going on quite a lot in africa india the, the oceanic regions more so and some pockets of south america and north america specifically you even find it going on in australia so you have the one gina for example in australia um so this is their version of the nephilim this is what they depicted them as and they are, they quite literally look like clowns in in a very literal sense 
And this is because the Freemasons are traveling men, you know. What they did was see these versions of their, their gods represented in different cultures and then incorporate it into their design, which is the clown. You know, so you'll find that here, for example, the Wangina are always depicted with polka dots all over the skin and this white ruff around the neck, which is common for clowns today and with this big red afro. Well, they've likely seen these rock art depictions, which are ancient, and copied it and added it to their symbol, which was what we call a clown today. They, they took inspiration from many cultures and made this amalgam image we call a clown. But what it really is, is a representation of the Wangina. The Wangina are the offspring of the Rainbow Serpent of Australian Dreamtime mythology, which is the grand serpents that came and basically created civilization. You know, these are the Seraphim angels. These are the ne these are the fathers yeah. of the Nephilim, you know, and their offspring, which were the human hybrid offspring with a Wangina. And lo and behold, they look like clowns <laughs> you know, by today's standards. Um, now, they wouldn't have called them clowns then. They probably didn't have a concept of a Western clown then. It didn't exist. It's just the Western clown is modelled after these depictions. Um, so, yeah, there you go. That's, that's, that's my work very quickly summarised. But um, this is just one culture of thousands. I have, a, I have hundreds of thousands of depictions of the Nephilim through many cultures. Um, this is just, this is a very on the nose one, you know, which I like to use as a main example. There it is with the rainbow serpent, the father and son together, you know, um, but it's, it, what I'm saying is not, it's not just a load of nonsense. You know, this is, this is grounded in, in reality and it's, it's wild. It's wild. It truly is. I, I think it's, the whole thing is brilliant. Um, um, yeah, really good. So take me then to how... So you you came up with this whole idea of you, you started making the connections between Nephilims mm -hmm. and clown. All right. Then we get into fast forward. You're you're off the air. Five years go by. You start looking into Millennial Kingdom short mm -hmm. season theory, and now you've got this whole clown thing. Uh, how are you tying this up into? So what does this look like to you with the short season, Millennial Kingdom, all that kind of stuff? How do it, you? It, it, it can stand alone separate from it, really, because um, the, the thing is, these these beings are now disembodied spirits. We call demons today. But when they were physical, they looked something like this, you know. So really, the, this this Nephilim clown thing is more of a know your enemy subgenre topic i think can stand alone without having to intermingle with the millennial kingdom stuff as far as i'm concerned they're still here and we still have to deal with them until um, the lake of fire until they're fully destroyed at the end of time you know uh, so we still have to deal with demons today and people still trip on dmt and interact with jesters as they call them you know dmt jesters which are just the disembodied spirits of these creatures you know who still have the wide grinned serpentine features going on with the psychedelic patterns um and my work on the clowns is mainly there so people stop being deceived by when they interact with them in the spirit realm the astral realm where they're currently trapped as disembodied spirits you know demons and a lot of people think they're enlightened beings or gods that have something to, special to offer them when really all they are are pathetic losers who don't even have a body who are stuck in the plumbing of reality right now looking to cause offenses and and mess with anybody who's willing to humor them you know, um, but what these creatures really are, are just the disembodied spirits of, uh, like, let's say, the Wangina. That's one example, you know, but there's uh, there's thousands of depictions. You know, they're the only demons of, of Japan as well. They're the Rakshasa demons of India. Um, and so, so I don't think this has to necessarily be 
linked at all in any way to the millennial kingdom um and I think well, it, may be, it may be best to keep it separate in terms of my writings as well because the book's getting complicated enough and big enough you know? I, I understand i understand i understand yeah. if, uh, if you if in your research you don't want to make that connection the, the way i function the way i think is that you know i when i was on your show I, I referred to i started seeing my research as what i call the kingdom verse now right it's it's yeah, this idea yeah. that the, the kingdom of heaven there are the mysteries of heaven these would of course tie in with the mysteries of heaven because they are the the, the mysteries that the watchers uh initiated uh through their children of course the nephilim um yeah and uh of course you know then they uh, it, the book of jubilees they uh how many it was um that 90% of them, or it was, I think only 10% of them remained, if I'm not mistaken, after the flood, uh, they were, you know, Noah gets off the ark and they're, these demons are just, you know, they never sh share this in Sunday school stories. So now I'm, with my, my children, my little girl, um, she has a Noah's Ark and he has all the animals on stuff, but it's, it's Playmobil. Uh, I'm, you're, you're from the UK. You know what Playmobil is, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's huge. Playmobil is huge there. I mean, it's like you go to the gas station, they sell, they sell Playmobil there to children. Uh, here in America, like nobody knows what Playmobil is, but we have the Playmobil Noah's Ark and we have the uh, a Playmobil ghost that I make sure is always with the Ark set. And people come over, they goes, that doesn't go in the Ark. I'm like, yeah, it does. And because, you know, they come off the Ark and the ghost comes and attacks them, which is a scene from Jubilees. But anyways, um, the reason I had said that was, you know, looking at, I asked you the question, like, when did the clowns start developing? Because that's, you know, in the back of my mind, that's what I'm thinking about. You know, I'm looking at dates, you know, according to official history. And here, let me pop this back on. Yeah, well, uh, well, but, well official history. Um, I, I gave you from 1800s onwards there for the modern rendition of a clown and where we got yeah. that from. Um, but there is a, a prehistory to that slightly um, coming out of the Dark Ages. And there was a movement that was coming out of it, which we're told, you know, was a roaming gang throughout the Middle Ages for the thousand years since the collapse of Rome of out of work actors who banded together and created something called the Comedial Art Movement out of it out of Italy. And they were basically actors who would go from city to city, set up a quick a quick tent, a quick stage, put on an improv show wearing masks with basic stock characters involved with the show and then take any money from the audience that was offered to them and move on to the next city because they were told due to the excesses of rome and the, the the rise of christendom throughout europe actors were seen as filthy prostitutes though they were taboo in a way and they kind of were out of work you find a, actually funnily enough we're told you know most people who who had jesters and actors were the rich and influential who could afford it and were above the law in a way you know and that's kind of where we get the the jester mythos from uh, who the king or you know, the king's the king's um personal jokester type of thing um but really the first clowns were introduced through that improv troupe we're told coming out the six into the 1600s you know and then from like the 1500s to the 1600s is where we're told harlequin was introduced into the the cast of this now well-established traveling troupe of actors now harlequin is literally modeled after the europeans version of the nephilim called the wild man um and now the wild man tradition spread all throughout europe i should have kept my screen up so i could show you images is very 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 clownish um and basically helikins is the french version of the same myth that every single country in europe has of the the giant club wielding hairy beast man okay which is a nephilim by any standards but their representations are always very colorful and um 
the first Harlequin, which is modeled after Helikins, the French version, um, was basically like a a a multicolored patched wearing dark beast hairy mask wearing club wielding monster demon who was a stock character for the Comédie l'Arts, modeled after a character these traveling actors kept seeing in every single place they went in all throughout Europe. Everywhere in Europe, they all had a wild man myth. So let's introduce that into our show as a stock character, because no matter where we go, people will recognize it and understand who that is. And it was the demon. It was supposed to represent the demonic influence in the show. He had magical powers. He could change the scene with his slapstick. He was almost like Hermes-like, and which because coming out of the Mediterranean tradition, Hermes was an influence, and Dionysus was an influence. You know, Hermes has his Caduceus staff. Um, Dionysus has his Thyrsus with the pinecone on the end. Um, very fleet of foot, lightweight, fast, quick-witted character, demonic character mashed together with this giant brute beast demon as well. You know, so that's what Harlequin is. But his he developed throughout the the next hundred years up into the 1800s from this rude crude beast with his stick who he would poke people's behinds with and make make phallic jokes with you know and into this boring lovesick fool who was always chasing after the daughter of the rich man and it left a void in the in this in the theater and um obviously by this point, Britain was doing its stage theatre shows modelled after the Comédie de l'Arts. France was doing its own thing as well, which is quite big in the theatre. Everyone was doing it. And it wasn't really a travelling thing anymore. They kind of settled in the theatres. And there was kind of an evolution of the character of Harlequin. Um, he became the lead protagonist rather than the evil background demon. And he was a he was like a, a, hero, a hero of sorts, trying to save the daughter of the rich man from indentured servitude for the sake of love, you know. And then the servant of the rich man, Pedrolino, who is clown, slowly took over as the lead character and became the demon Harlequin used to be. Because that void was there. Who's going to be the demon now? Well, Pedrolino took over, and along with that switching character from boring clown to wild demon monster, the costume change happened as well, and they dressed him like a demon too. So that's 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 the precursor to what I've already then from there I've already explained what happened from there, you know. <laughs> but uh the um it was while it was while now of course everything you're describing would it fits perfectly within my whole uh, but, you know, talking about short season fits perfectly within my whole model, the whole, you know, con the frame that the timeline I've come up with, it makes total sense to me. Um, but it was while preparing for you to come on and I'm kind of going through some of your older videos. I, I went back to the beginning of YouTube and I was kind of just picking out random videos and looking at stuff. And it, it occurred to me for the first time because I've done work on the, the fool or the trickster before. Mm -hmm. And you know, of course, the, the idea of, uh, as you know, the, the idea of the trickster is that he's at the crossroads and he's actually expanding boundaries, right, through his mm -hmm. his foolery. Um, and I've done articles on like Lucille Ball, how she was the the perfect trickster, you know, embodying this uh, this Mercury like trickster god, and mm -hmm. through comedy and changing the family dynamic in America, um, and changing the the role of women, and you know, pulling them out into the workforce and that kind of stuff, um, and uh, and I never made that connection before that, oh my goodness, like this idea of the, 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 it comes straight from the Nephilim, right? It's, it's that same straight kind straight. of a, that spiritual embodiment. Um, mm -hmm. Never, never made that connection before. Yeah, it's was, quite, it's quite literally 
the first proto-jester, Harlequin, modelled after the wild man of Europe, a demon. The later iteration of the clown, his costume and character, modelled after Harlequin's original character, which was demonic and witty and foolish and funny and jester-like. The clown became like that, and also his costume then also became demonic, but rather than Western influence, it was Eastern influence for the new costume change of India instead. But through and through, the, the first proto-jester in theatre and the first clowns modelled specifically after very specific demons. Helikin's Wild Man of Europe, Rakshasa demons of India. So the demonic through and through. They, they always have been, the very inception. So sure. when people embody the spirit of a clown today, they don't really know what they're saying there. They're literally taking, putting on a mask, the costume, the skin of a Nephilim entity creating a very strong channel to the spirit world and allowing them in. That's what it is. I, I try not, I try not to promote movies, you know, out of like nostalgia or anything like that, especially since I, I, I want to, you know, encourage people to be set apart, but I have to admit one of my favorite movies of all time is uncle buck. And it reminds me of that scene when the clown comes up and he like punches the clown in the face and the clown falls over. I don't know. I've been thinking that this whole, just, so you know, like what's been swimming through my head this whole time is when John Candy punches the clown as it comes up. Um, <laughs> oh yeah. Uh, I'm, 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 I'm out of material at this point. This has been uh, fascinating. And um, uh, have you ever looked into, well, trivia question for you. Um, uh, what's the oldest, wild man reference you have seen in literature like how far back does the wild man go for you because you mentioned a lot about europe it's it's the wild man tradition is predominantly a medieval thing but prior to that you know you have esau the hairy beast the huge man from the bible you know you you have yeah. uh enkidu going back to the epic of gilgamesh the hairy wild beast man you know this this is the archetypical character of the wild beast has been around it, for a long time, a very long time. It, it, and, it, yeah. it freaked me out because it, it's actually written like uh, the way it's written in the Hebrew. It comes across me like he was a wild man. I almost described yeah. him as that, as Esau. Of course, uh, the Epic of Gilgamesh is the oldest uh, that I can find on record that, you know, Ikindu who befriended Gilgamesh, he was a wild man created mm -hmm. by the gods. Um, mm -hmm. it, interesting enough, uh, I just went through uh, three books from the Colbrin, and the Colbrin is is the, the British uh, Bible that kind of came out of the Middle Ages, uh, very Druidic influenced. And they they identify as coming out of Egypt. And the, the Colbrin, by the way, has one of the, the most amazing, I'm going to be reading from the next month or so, the most amazing eyewitnesses to the Exodus. It's just mind boggling the way, how bad it was in Egypt, the way they described it. But they describe uh, what they call the, Yos, uh, the Yoselings. And the Yoselings were all through the Middle East. And they were the hairy wild men. Mm -hmm. Interesting enough, it describes that they could go invisible and then materialize and that the, these yoslings could be in the room with you or in, in, in the whereabouts, you wouldn't even know they're there. Mm -hmm. And, um, so I, I, it's, I it's, inter it, it's interesting you say that because that's a specific, is that a, a middle Eastern geographical locations phenomena specifically, but what you described there is identical to the Nung Nungs of the great American plains and the Duwamish tribes who had to deal with giants in America. Um, very, 
oral traditions passed down, but there's this tribe, the Duwamish, who dealt with a tribe they called the Nungnungs, otherwise known as the Sitikar in other, other iterations of the story. But they were tall, pale-skinned, red-haired giants who would have a jester-like personality. And they would come and play practical jokes on these smaller people and just do things that were cruel by our standards, but funny to them, like place things on top of trees that they need, you know, things like that, you know what I mean? And steal washing lines. But they actually said this, this particular group of giant cannibals with red hair who would come into their tribe and mess with them and steal their women. They had a cream they could put on that made them invisible. And you just mentioned mm. the invisibility thing there as well. I thought that was fascinating. They had this odd technology. And they also said they had... They could they could mess with people's minds. They could make them paralyzed. With the, they had like telekinetic abilities as well. They were not human by our standards. They were possibly part divine. They had extra abilities, including knowledge, how to make invisibility cream, for example. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's very odd. But when you said invisibility there and referring to this her, this hairy troop in the Middle East, it's it's the same story on every continent. We've all every all of humanity have contended with these things all throughout history. That's what a lot of my book is about as well, to be honest. Um, yeah, there's the shared narratives across all cultures, just with their own different stylistic aesthetic to describe them. But they're talking about the same things. Yeah, I mean, they all come, boils down to the worship of the serpent. Mm -hmm. I, absolutely. Absolutely. That's exactly what it comes down to. I mean, you got you got the feathered serpent in America, Quetzalcoatl. Uh, that's the exact same thing as the rainbow serpent that I just showed you in, um, in Australia. The same Have things, you, you know. Uh, you can't go to, I think you pronounce it, have you, do you, I, I don't want to assume, because uh, did you ever go down to France, uh, living in the UK, uh, have you ever been to, was it called Le Sioux or Le, Le Sioux, uh, the cave there? Actually, you can't go, it's so lame, you can't go in the cave anymore, but you, they, they've created a fake cave that you can go, so you go visit there and you go to the fake cave, because they say they don't want you to go in the real cave, but they have there the, um, the, one of the, uh, so I saw the the fake version. I can't get nerded out over that. Uh, but it was it was the feathered, uh, the feathered plumed. Um, well, it was like a serpentine plumed uh, dude in there. I thought that was kind of cool. Hmm. Um, I've not heard of that. No, I've been to France. I've been to Paris, uh, but I've not been. I, it's quite touristy, really. It was it was for my honeymoon, so I can't really say I've. <laughs> quite stereotypical now I think about it but uh, I can't say I've actually explored much of it I, I was blown away by the architecture I can tell you that much um, while I was there <laughs> that's, that's what got me off in this whole thing and when we went to Europe and um, we were there for six months and I was targeting buildings specifically I had no knowledge of the whole Tartarian thing yet and but I was targeting because I was you know really into the mystery religions and I was and studying them and I wanted to look at the architectural change from the the dark ages to the enlightenment and see how see how they changed. I went and studied the doors, the windows. I, I had no knowledge of any of this research yet. And um, and so I'm telling people that we're going to France for three months and they're going like, you're gonna be in Paris the whole time, right? You're going to Paris. I'm like, no, I'm not going to Paris. And they're like, why do you why do you want to go to France? I'm like, because I want to because I don't want to go to Paris. I want to go see France, right? Mm -hmm. But we <laughs> We did end up going to Paris like a couple days or something like that. And I have to admit, uh, it, I was blown away. Uh, I was not prepared for what I saw there. And it really truly is the most romantic city on earth. Uh, now I'm there with two, they were four year olds at the time, right? I mean, they're almost still pooping their pants at this time, right? You know, I mean, I'm in like, I'm with my children, don't touch the Mona Lisa, don't, you know, don't go over there and touch that priceless artwork. But I could, I could do a 360 and, and 
just a 360 and it's just all these couples like kissing and holding hands and and i'm like you know i'm like the only person in paris with like these two toddlers trying to hold on to them so well no um, it's, it's funny you say that because um i say i say i went on my honeymoon but it was actually our after honeymoon so i me and my wife had a honeymoon uh, at home in the uk just me and her and then we went on a family holiday for seven days to paris with my toddler so I know exactly what you're talking about. That place is not designed to have children, okay? There is no lifts anywhere. Prams are out of the question, which is all we could use. It, and the people hate kids. They're very rude to you with children. And don't get me wrong, Paris is a beautiful city if you can get past all the homeless people and the graffiti and the, tra and the trash everywhere. But, but uh, the architecture is, is impeccable, that's for sure. But uh, the people and the city is not they are not accommodating to families young families not at all no. I'll say well, that much. <laughs> I, I don't want i don't want to uh you know be like you know i'm trashing on the french but they are <laughs> it's the only place in the entire world i've been where they are literally embody the polite police and some of the um i i was speaking to a british woman there who lived has lived in france for 30 years and she's like yeah like here she loves france like don't even know she loves it but she's like these are the only people where they they don't feel obliged to be polite themselves they want to make sure you're polite and they will come and let you know that you are breaking these these polite rules they're like you know the hall monitor you know whatever anyways um yeah we got a few more we got like 10 more minutes and um i, I think it might be interesting just to come back to the wild man um concept so there is a particular wild man tradition which is still going today actually in bulgaria called um the cookery and they claim it's been the same for thousands of years so this might be a good example of, of a very old example they claim it goes all the way back to thracian uh, culture that's where they they claim this comes from you know it's going quite a far back in time here so maybe it might be worth me just sharing with you some examples of the wild man tradition in europe uh, so you can also see where they get the jester and clown from because um, the same tradition is is used today for things like Lent or Mardi Gras in in America, you know, or Carnival um, through more Portuguese or Spanish traditions as well. And this is where you get it from. This is where you get the Venetian masks from, essentially, you know, which are uh, prototypical jester clowns. Did you um, want to? Did you want to share uh, share a screen? Yeah, yeah. I'm just going to bring up some images first, so I've got something to share <laughs> share with you. But uh, I'm just getting it now. Um, so it might be fun just just to for ten minutes to give you a bit of a an, a display of these things, and who knows, maybe you might find some use in it for your own research with you know, making your uh, your kingdom verse, as you call it, this this idea, um, because again, this is this is this these are histories and cultures and cultures traditions that we need to square with the theory as well at the end of the day, you know. So it might be worth just sharing them with you. For some reason, Discord just opened, so sorry about. That. Let me just quickly get that back. Um, Right, so I will share with present share screen and Wildman of Europe share. And I don't know if you can see that yet. Do you have to click on that at the bottom? Yeah. There we go. There we go. Okay, so again, just curse, curse researches through, uh, through Google. Type in Wildman of Europe and you'll see a lot of stuff like this. So these are the medieval representations which uh, you get Harlequin based off of. And here's more modern renditions where people still dress like him. It's a hairy beast, man. But then you just start to get these weird versions like this, where they're quite out there with the descriptions, with a wide, toothy grin and like a faceless facade. And then you get these amalgamed, hairy, strange-looking things as well appearing all the time. And these are basically 
when they move and dance, the hairs wave around to make them like ethereal, bizarre-looking entities of made of sound and frequency and vibration. You know what I mean? Um, here's actually a tapestry of Moorish from Moorish culture showing a bunch of hairy, pale-skinned giants um, raiding a castle <laughs> of of Moorish culture. You have a little king and queen here you know, ordering their, their subjects to uh, to come and save them, basically. But you've got these pale-skinned, um, hairy, wild beast men on these old tapestries, which I thought were quite interesting. Um, but you should see some of the renditions these people dress as. The hairy, hairy demonic beasts with big red noses, big red tongues, uh, multicolored ribbons are often involved as well. And it can get quite psychedelic the further they go. Um, bells, heavily related to sound and frequency um and you got these wide mouth dragon looking monsters as well um very odd but this is this is nothing compared to when you actually start to get into it so let's look at the wild men of europe let's look at cookery um and the cooker so this is where it starts to get really trippy they start getting more colorful when you get to more of the romanian bulgarian sections as well you start getting things like this starting to appear, you know and you start and the clownish motifs really start to come through heavily thick and heavy you know, the more you get into it and they start wearing things like this on their parades and traditions. And they believe they're basically warding, well, warding away evil spirits before before the fast. And look at this, for example. And these this is ancient. These are these go way back, like I said, to Thracian culture. And you find they're actually wearing these conical hats, which can have certain connotations, as you can imagine. But when you look at these, I realized is this not the inspiration for um, party hats? Look at this, for example. Now, they're trying to mimic something here, a ghostly, weird, psychedelic visage of something with pale skin, a red nose, rosy cheeks, and psychedelic colours and pom-poms around. And I couldn't help but imagine that these things worn by the, in the cookery festival of Bulgaria are identical to a typical party hat, you know what I mean, which we put on kids uh, with the cone and then the, and the bobbles, for example, party hat. Um, it's this, isn't it? This is our simplified, westernized, modern version. Just a bit of fun with, for the kids. But what's it mean? To, yes, but what does it mean to truly wear something like that when you actually think about it? You know what I mean? And um, when you consider that these ancient cultures have been wearing something similar to specifically mimic, and um, well, they claim that their their version is apotropaic big word there but it basically means you wear the thing to scare away the things you wear the costume to look like enemies to scare away the enemies uh, other cultures do it in the other way you wear the costume to channel the thing but these cultures believe they're wearing the costume to scare them away now they can't both be right i actually believe it's 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 the channeling aspect now, these cultures who apotropaically wear these things thinking they're warding away bad spirits are fools in my eyes they're just channeling demons just ignorantly. You know, you well, know, that's, I, that's the way I see it. You know what that reminds me of? And I can't say it, and you know I can't say it because, you know, I'll get a strike. Uh, everybody out there can visualize what I cannot say. But, you know, there's a certain – we'll just use the, the keyword Nephilim. Uh, but everybody takes a Nephilim uh, to, you know, ward off – the nephilim right but mm -hmm. you know like the people who are always doing that who are always uh sipping on the juice they're, they're always the ones that like it validates their worldview you know what i'm saying like it it's proof that they need to keep doing it because they keep getting x y and z uh, i'm being very 
uh, abstract here. Uh, it's not to trigger anything, but you know what I'm talking about. So to me, like the idea that they would be dressing like that to ward off uh, these evil spirits, uh, it just it, it's validated by the fact that they probably keep encountering them, right? So I'm dressing mm -hmm. like this and doing this to ward them off, but it's actually getting their gaze and their attention. It's almost mm -hmm. like the idea of of putting up pumpkins, uh, a jack o' lantern, I should say, for for Halloween, and mm -hmm. it was that that that's the same idea that you're doing that to 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 stave off the spirits, mm -hmm. but actually it's actually attracting their gaze, right? Yeah. So. Well, another example of this, and it is specifically the practice of warding away. So this is the cookery in Bulgaria, and it comes in many forms, as you can see. The wild hairy beast is one of them, but also these fractal jester monsters is another one that seems very, very, very common with it. And these these conical hats is also common with, look, this is like a beast man. It's, it's got the legs of a satyr, but the body of a human with an elongated skull, basically. These, these are remnants uh, echoes of Nephilim. But if we go to, for example, uh, the Phy Phytocon, um, I think that's how it's pronounced, the Phytocon uh, Spirit Festival. Uh, I think that's what it's called. It'll yeah, here it is. The Phytocon. Yeah, I, I missed the H out. So this is um, oh, the country eludes me right now. Let me just quickly figure it out. Thailand. So this is a ghost festival in Thailand where they are specifically dressing like ghosts or the spirits of the dead ancestor spirits and it's said that when the buddha came to their village um the spirits of the dead rose with him or something like that and he had him and basically in order to not be affected by it the villagers dressed like the demons so the demons didn't recognize that they were humans so they left them alone okay so now this is this, this yearly festival where they parade through the streets dressed like wide grin sharp toothed jester demon monsters with multicolored fractal ribbon patterned clothing okay look at these things and they all have their own troops and stylistic ways of doing it but these are monstrous nephilim pale skin sharp tooth wide grinned clown monsters by any standards you know what i mean and this is what they believe the spirits looked like and they have these fractal psychedelic clothing on because they represent the spirits which are trapped in the fractal psychedelic astral dmt realm and everything about this costume is a representative of, of the disembodied spirits of the Nephilim. Now, the Nephilim, obviously, were half serpentine flying fiery serpents and half human. This is what you get. You get something that looks like this as a result. You don't get the stereotypical, really hench Conan the Barbarian, tanned, long brown head looking monster giant that looks pretty human. You get this psychedelic serpent human monstrous wide grinning hybrid thing instead. This is what you get when you mix a dragon with a human. You get this looking thing. And this is what we see everywhere. I mean, let's look at, for example, um, Medusa or a Gorgon in Greek mythology. Now, it depends what story you want to go off. But typically speaking, Medusa is the offspring of a Typhon, which is a sea god, a serpent sea god and Echidna, which is the mother of monsters. She's the one who birthed many monsters. But Echidna is basically a siren, is a human woman who's become like a Nephilim, as is explained in Enoch. The women who mated with the fallen angels became sirens. So Echidna is just that. That's, uh, it's also an animal in uh, Australia, but <laughs> we're not doing that. So Echidna in Greek mythology um, is this thing. This serpent woman hybrid monster thing. So this is, I believe this is a one of the original daughters of Cain who mated with the Watchers. I believe she was turned into a siren. So she was turned into this monster. She mated with, uh, I think it was Typhon. 
um, Typhon and Echidna. Yeah, these two hybrid monsters. So this may be another fallen angel watcher of some kind, but of the sea, uh, mating with Echidna and created the Gorgons. Now, Gorgons, you, you would think Medusa is that serpent woman with snakes for hair, right? That's the uh, typical view you everyone thinks of medusa as looking like this that's not what any early artistic depiction of medusa looked like she actually looked more like this this is what a gorgon looks like more typically speaking the hair was dreadlocks with a big wide grin and the tongue sticking out it wasn't serpents for hair the serpent for hair thing is a really modern hollywood thing you know maybe maybe some artwork yeah coming out of maybe into the romantic period of the renaissance period sure but early depictions of gorgons looked like this on the right can you see not this on the left and it's akin to something similar to what you see in um this is kali with the tongue sticking out in india this is the rakshasa demons of india it's the same visage you know what i mean it's the same thing traditionally it was quite human looking but it had angel's wings because it was part divine had a wide horrible grin and uh yeah the early colors of these things was pale white skin with uh, red lips, <laughs> so like a clown. And you can find, I'm trying to find old depictions of this. So a Gorgon. I, I had to post that there, Miley Cyrus, too, with the, the tongue. I thought that was kind of funny. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that too. Gorgon, a Gorgon stone artwork. Let's see if we can got anything here. Some of the older stuff. Um, yeah, so this is the older stuff. This is what she would have been looked like in terms of color. Wide red grin, pale white skin. That's a clown. <laughs> you know. Uh, here we are again. Pale white skin, bright red hair, like a clown. Uh, the typical depiction of most Nephilim. Pale white skin, red hair. Large serpentine glowing eyes, not human eyes in the slightest. Again, inherited from their parents. Um, the history's there, and they all look the same. It's all a shared, it's a shared cultural image of what the Gorgons look like. Pale skin, wild crazy red hair. And that's the base of any clown. That's where we get it from. Here's another excessive example red hair pale white skin not sit not snakes for hair red hair that's what the gorgon typically looked like on most things now get this uh the Gor the gorgonians the gorgon um i think it's called a gorgonian um is a seal which is worn no, no that's, a, <laughs> that's a never mind uh, let's let's look up athena and gorgon i think that was so, the wrong search. yeah so athena wears Typically, Athena's always depicted with a Gorgonian on her chest, which is the head of Medusa. Okay, it was given to her by Perseus, I think it was, after slaying Medusa. It was given to her as a gift, so there he is holding up Medusa's head. And he gave it to Athena, and she wears it as a pendant on her chest, as like protection. So Athena's always shown with the head of Medusa on her chest somewhere. Any, any depiction of her will show it, okay? But there is this particular early rendition here, and look how they decided to depict um, the Gorg the Gorg Gorgon in this in this particular uh, rendition. Looks just like a clown. Yeah. With red hair as today's standards. Because the clown is modeled off of these things that we have today. The the Freemasons who are who love Greek mythology, you know, I know all about these things, have seen this artwork and they have modeled when they molded the clown. They modeled it after images like this. Again, the Gorgon, a serpent-human hybrid created by um, a siren, a daughter of Cain, mixing with a serpent sea god of some kind, a Nephilim by any standards. 
the Nephilim did truly look like clowns. They just didn't call them that, you know, and here's another example. And they all have, across every culture, they have their own stylistic way of depicting them. So I, th I thought that was a bit of fun for you. Maybe we can end on that, but there we go. Again. Yeah, yeah. I have to, Paul, I am, I am impressed as if that means anything to you, but I, I might, you blew my mind. That was incredible. I was just sitting here going like, Oh, was like, you're showing me all this stuff. <laughs> and, uh, it, it's, so one of the, um, I had asked you and I'll end on this. I asked you at the beginning, uh, how do you determine what truth is? And so for me, um, and I'll, this is where I would take your research and I would go, this, this helps, uh, this this is basically like my idea of of how I pursue the truth, right? So, uh, if because I believe the Bible is true, right? That's the foundation, right? The first question was what is truth, and then the second is is how do you you know pursue truth from there? So if I'm using the Bible as a springboard, and as 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 it was mentioned that the Bible exposes all of these things, all these world cultures have these you know the Nephilim, the giants, the as you would say the the Nephilim are clowns, uh, the Tower of Babel, the Deluge, the incursion, all these different things. But the Bible is the one that exposes it, right? So mm -hmm. now I've changed my opinion many, many times. I tell people all the time, I'm I'm probably wrong this very moment. I mean, I change my opinion so many times, but every single time, almost every the goal is every time is to take the Bible more literally, right? To 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 harness that vision and and get a bigger peripheral vision and and take all these different pieces and connect and go, wow, that makes sense, right? Mm -hmm. Um, and so, yeah, for me, it's, it's when you can put something together like that and, and it just, it all makes sense. Like you could take it through history. You could show it modern for me. It, it you know, it, I, I totally get it. You want to separate it from the, the MK research, but for me, it makes sense in that the short season beforehand, the watchers, everything. And, uh, I think it's brilliant. I think that's some, some brilliant Look, research that for yeah. me, it, so, so for me, when I, what, I'm sorry, I don't mean it. No, when no, I, go, when go, I'm, go, sorry. The only time I backtrack, there's been times where I backtrack, where I go like, yeah, I'm sorry, I, I took the wrong route here. And I start coming back. And it's when my my vision starts getting darker and darker and darker, right? And everything starts becoming more confused. I'm like, how did I end up here in this, in this, in this marsh, right? This bog. And you have to backtrack. But when everything starts getting clear, I'm like, yes, this is the this is right. This is this is a you know, pursue the truth. And I I can't see any flaw in this. I mean, this is just like Cross the board, you know, you've checked all the boxes. I think it's brilliant. Anyways, go ahead. <laughs> it, it's a tautology. It's one of those things that makes sense of a lot of things. So I may be talking about the way the Nephilim looks, but I do have to go into everything to explain why that is the case. As, you, as, you, as you've seen there, it's uh, which I think why people like the theory so much, because it does teach them a lot of other things around the periphery of the point. And uh, I think that's how I tackle most subjects. So you have the core theory. Now let's look at everything surrounding it to give context to the theory, and then we can understand the conspiracy thoroughly. And you don't have to take everything on board and believe every single piece, you know, because we're trying to create, again, a holistic image that works. And sometimes things don't work, and we have to go back to the drawing board and bring it back together. And that's how I approach all my research. I, I take everything in, hold it up to scrutiny to the overarching theory, and then also I bring it back to, does it square with biblical history and theology? And most of the things I presented, I believe, do. You know, and I think we can find answers for most of these things. And like you said, a lot of what my work does, and even with this millennial kingdom stuff is, is showing me, is that the Bible is literal about a lot of things. It's not all just metaphor and simile here and there. And I think we can 
safely take the Bible at its word on a lot of things and it and it will it will hold up to scrutiny if you want to go and scrutinize and do the research and look into it for yourself. Um, I mean, this whole millennial reign thing, like I said, for a lot of people, it's a faith issue. I think it affects the, the, the foundational belief systems and they're scared to shake it up and, and maybe see things from a new perspective. But for me personally, I believe knowing that Jesus Christ has already come and reigned on earth has proven to me he wasn't a liar. And my faith is only stronger because of this because of this new this new revelation that okay so it maybe has already come and like i said it keeps making more and more sense the more you go back to the word the things he said start to make a lot more sense based on you know the people standing here who won't taste death till they see me return in my kingdom all this type of stuff and there's hundreds of other quotes to back up this idea that he was being very immediate so for me personally it only it, it's only made me more excited and on fire for god in a way more a strong a stronger faith less doubt because I can see the evidences that he's come. He was here. It's real. This really did happen. You know, it's, it's, and the evidences are that if you want to go and see them, and that's why I appreciate your work, because you have gone out there and compiled and looked at the histories and got the, the, the receipts, the black and white on ink on paper proofs, you know, that he was clearly here. It was documented. Uh, a lot of it's missing which is suspect and there's a conspiracy about all of this, but what we can piece together and infer from these other cultures, they did document his return. They just called him something else or, or mythologized it in some way. And that's why I really appreciate a lot of your work, especially the whole stuff going on with this whole of the Saxon mythology as well in the Camelot and the, the red and white dragon. Uh, me and actually me and Tony from God rules channel, sons of thunder. were just talking about you yesterday. Uh, on my channel uh -oh. and you know he really respects your work and we were talking with him we were like oh you, you know Noah and all these type of things and he actually used your writings from your videos and and from your channel to show me some history about what he's been thinking about as well and what's been going on because so I thought so there you go you know your work has had an impact on a lot of people um, and it's I, I personally think it's a shame that a lot of people give you a lot of stick um, for your choice in language here and there um, but that's yeah, we don't have to get into that, but uh, I, I appreciate your work and. Uh... I yeah, well, I'll say uh, quickly too on that point is that you know here at, at Tuck at the Unexpected Cosmology, we're we're a publisher. I mean, we we put out a lot of books, and uh, right now, uh, Pamela's in the in the chat. She is an amazing woman, and she is actually translating the entire Paleo Hebrew uh, Torah. And then when she's done with that, she's already done a couple of books on the Psalms and then she's gonna be working on the gospels. But I point this out to people that we get really into the language here. And I, and for me, there's um, one of the ways you can know you're among your own tribe or one of the ways you can know you're not among your own tribe is if you have to walk on eggshells or tiptoe, you're, you're not amongst your own tribesmen. And that's, I could always see in the comments when people come in and they, they pretend like they're a fan of the cause, but you need to stop using the names. It's like, okay, clearly you don't actually know much about us or anything because literally we are a publisher that focuses on the names. Uh, so I always find it, you know, a surprise, surprising when people come in all offensive and all that kind of stuff in the groups. But yeah, you saw a little bit of that last week and it, oh, it happened. I've, I've, I've seen more than enough. Um, I'm keeping out of it, but, uh, I will, I will talk to anybody and everybody, regardless of who's fighting who. It doesn't matter to me. Um, I, I want to get to the bottom of this. 
and I'll talk to you, no, I'll, I'll talk to anybody about this. So it's fine for me, you know, but I, I, I think your work's thorough and you've, you've definitely taught me a lot over the years as well. I've been watching, I've been watching your videos, uh, you know, for years too. I've been, I've been around, you may not, I may not have been a known entity, but I have been listening to a lot of your work for a long time. May not have been, not a known entity, but, um, <laughs> our, all right. Well, thank you, Paul. That's a good uh, place to end. It's been a couple hours. I, I loved you coming on. Thank you so much. And uh, I, I, you definitely schooled me today. Uh, showed me a lot of stuff. I will definitely have to be. Uh, <laughs> I'll have definitely have to be sourcing you on some of this stuff now. Every time this comes up, be like, "Well, this is what Paul says." And uh, good <laughs> stuff. All right. Uh, thank you, everybody. I just want to say to everyone out there uh, listening, uh, this Friday. Of course, tomorrow I'll be bringing on uh, a. John Q, who is going to be looking at the millennial kingdom theory from uh, a very controversial position, QAnon. Um, and I want to hear him out on that. And so he'll be given his perspective. And then, uh, and of course, how that relates to the short season. And then Friday, everyone, you know, I'm doing my Torah portions. Come on by, good old fashioned Bible study. Well, this is not your father's Bible study, of course. And we're going through the Torah. We're in Exodus right now. And um, and then afterwards, I'm going through the book of Galatians and a, a line for line. And this, so everyone, come on out for that. Thank you, Paul. I'll be ending it. Shalom, everybody. Thank you.